Pivo. I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, and, of course, I want to reiterate uh, that we are listener-supported radio. And by we, I mean both WBAI and WPFW. So I want to encourage listeners to support these radio stations. And, of course, by supporting these radio stations during my show or in the name of my show, you're suggesting to management uh, how you value what I bring to these two fine radio stations as well. So if you're listening in New York, I want you to call the pledge line, which is 212-209-2950, or go online to give to wbaiorg and make a donation of any size. It can be a one-time donation. It could be a time donation. It could be, uh, you can sign up as a sustaining member, become a BAI buddy. And look, I used to have a bunch of these, but you can become a BAI buddy in the name of uh, Resistance Radio. And then you just uh, you provide your credit card information or your checking account, and um, and you can donate five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars a month, and uh, and that's one of the ways that we can budget with that, knowing that those dollars are coming in. If you're listening in in Washington D.C. Uh, on Jazz and Justice Radio, I hope that you will go to their pledge line, which is two zero two five eight eight nine seven three nine. Or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate, and the same thing goes. You become a sustaining member, do a one-time donation. Um, look, you can do a one-time donation every time I ask, <laughs> if that's the way, uh, if, if that works for you. But um, we are listener support radio, and uh, I appreciate being on these two platforms, these two radio stations, in these two very important markets. And uh, I'll stay here as long as, uh, as you are willing to support these stations and, uh, and to some extent do so in the name of this show. Um, again, we're in, the, uh, we're in the new year. So a lot of times this is about you enter a new year with a certain amount of reflection, I guess, and uh, you look back on where we have been. And today marks, uh, or this week, I should say, kind of marks an, the anniversary of um, the height of what I would call the Idle No More movement. And so today's show, I want to talk about how we sustain movements. How do we keep them going? You know, it's, you know we come up with these, uh, these nice slogans and we come up with uh, any number of movements, I guess, in, with certain taglines or, or whatever else. And Idle No More was one of ours. Um, and 10 years ago, it was, uh, it, was doing, it was doing pretty well. It was gathering a lot of support. And, and just for those of you who aren't familiar, Idle No More was essentially a movement that essentially started with, with a, uh, I think, five women in, uh, in, in one of the Canadian provinces who chose the, this phrase as a call to action for people to, be, to, to no longer remain idle on these issues, to, to, to take a stand to do, and to take some action. So Idle No More became our, um, our call to action. Remain idle, no more. I, Murray Porter's got a, got a great song uh, that he talks about movement and Idle No More. Um, and it was, going, it was going pretty well. And one of the things that, that was happening was Native people all over U.S. and Canada were converging on um, prominent public spaces, sometimes malls, because especially get, getting into the wintertime, we were going to these, to these big shopping malls, including the Mall of America in, in Minneapolis, so, I mean, big, big venues uh, in Winnipeg and Edmond and all, the, all these places. And we were performing round dances 
in those um, at, at those venues. And so we would just kind of show up. We were they we called them flash mob round changes. For those people who aren't familiar with flash mobs, it's, this was this was our version. It was these were flash mob round dances, uh, sometimes carrying signs uh, with "I don't know more" or you know maybe flags of our nations or or whatever. And so this is this is something that we were doing. And I participated in a couple of them out in this area, uh, you know, in in Western New York, a couple of malls. Um, but on one occasion, <laughs> ten years ago, uh, almost ten years ago to the day. I had gone to the Galleria Mall in Buffalo or Cheektowaga, the suburb of Buffalo, uh, which is obviously Gallerias are usually the um, among the premier malls in, in any given area. So we went to the Galleria Mall and we started doing the roundups. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't even my plan to go to this thing. I was actually going someplace else and this was kind of on the way. So I stopped and me and a buddy of mine, we stopped in uh, to participate in the round dance. And when we got there, we saw that the um, that one of the the mall cops uh, was really kind of losing his mind. So rather than just participating in the round dance on the outside, <clears throat> we decided to get inside the ring. And uh, for those who don't know what round dances, you have you've got a uh, a bunch of singers in the middle, um, drumming, singing, and then a large ring of people. Sometimes multiple rings um, of of people, you know, doing uh, dancing almost uh, hand in hand in, you know, in a ring. And so we went inside the ring because that's where the mall cop was kind of, you know, sauntering around and, and, and kind of just looking agitated and being a bit of a nuisance. So we stepped inside and, um, and I kind of ran a little bit of interference and he was all over his radio and he was, you know, at one point I asked him, you know, look, are we going to have a problem here? And, and he kind of cursed me out and suggested that we were all trespassing. Um, so you know, and that he and that he had called the Chictawaga police, uh, a police department that had a kind of a reputation for aggressiveness. Um, and sure enough, they showed up. And as they came through the the dance line into the center of the circle, I continued to run interference, and uh, and I basically stepped in front of the uh, the police. Now, if you if you're curious what this looks like. Uh, on my Facebook group pages, both um, uh, Let's Talk Native and Resistance Radio, I posted the video, one of the videos that was taken, and, and there were several that were taken. Uh, again, these are 10-year-old videos, and you can see my interaction. Um, and it, it, there's, there's a funny story associated with this, because <clears throat> I essentially stopped the cops from uh, from breaking up the round dance. And, and by first almost having a bit of a physical um, encounter with him, I kept talking to him and I kept saying, look, this is going to be over in a few minutes. Just be patient. Uh, there's no harm being done here. Nobody is, you know, hurting it, this property. In fact, most of these people have already come through the food court and that kind of stuff. Some were shopping. I mean, it's, you know, it's just after Christmas, but some were, were shopping. And I said, just, just sit back. Uh, these things last a few minutes and then they're gone. That's why they're called flash mob round. He says, well, who's in charge here? I said, nobody's in charge. Well, then why are all these people came? How did all these people come here? I said, well, it was on Facebook. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we had our, our little bit of an altercation and, and it was well noted by many people out here in Western New York and those who follow me and others on social media, they saw that I, I became a little bit of a celebrity for, and I didn't do it single handedly, but it, but it had that appearance because I was the one who confronted, uh, essentially the cop. Um, and, um, 
so then I continued on to the other event, which was supposed to be a reception for somebody who had just been acquitted of, uh, of you know, of some uh, social justice charge anyway. Um, and my wife calls, <laughs> calls me up and she says, what the hell are you doing? I said, what do you mean? She goes, I haven't been on Facebook in three months, and I jump on there, and I see you in a fight with a cop. I said, well, I wasn't really in a fight with a cop. I just kind of got in his way. Now, I hadn't seen any of the video at this point. <laughs> I just, I just, in my mind, I just stood in his way. But then my buddy, Matt, pulls up the video. He says, yeah, you did kind of mix it up with him a little bit. And she, he shows me the video. I says, well, it wasn't really a fight. We just kind of grabbed each other. And, you know, and this was on a Friday, by the way. And we always had this, we know as activists that, Getting arrested on Friday really kind of sucks because when you get arrested on Friday, you're going to sit in jail till Monday. That's, you know, so, and it's the first thing my wife threw at me. She was, you know better than to do this on a Friday. And I, and I said, well, I, I didn't really plan on doing anything. I wasn't even going to stop here. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to weasel my way out of being in trouble with my wife. <clears throat> and then she says, <laughs> she says, and what are the kids going to think? Now, my kids are grown at this point. I mean, this is 10 years ago and my youngest is in his 30s. So uh, my kids are grown. And she no sooner said, well, what are the kids going to say when I started getting all of these comments coming in from my kids and all over the place saying, oh, dad, that was so great. And, you know, and I said, I think the kids are okay with this. But uh, so that video comes up in my memories and that kind of stuff uh, every year. But, you know, this is the 10th year anniversary. So, but again, that's at the, at the height. I bring it up because there's a video that kind of, kind of shows it and you can see it on my Facebook group pages. Um, but I bring it up because that movement, the Idle No More movement, which was really had some great growth and, and it really had a, a good movement. And the Idle No More, the Idle No More movement, it was different than, say, AIM, the American Indian movement, because the American Indian movement was is an organization. It's a it's a group, and there's chapters and, and that kind of stuff. Idle No More movement was was more like what we know as the Black Lives Matter movement. It was it was it was literally a a political movement and and an activist movement that didn't have it wasn't an organization. Let's just let's just put it that way. In fact, Idle No More went out of its way not to avoid designating leadership and that kind of stuff. That's why when when the police officer asked, "Well, well, why are all these people here?" and I and I said, "Facebook is because it just be it, it it the the plan was to use this notion of of, of viral internet right, uh, feeds and." And that's how these that's how an event would be organized, not by somebody inviting people and that kind of stuff, just letting the word spread. Um, and you know, and it was doing pretty well. But then it's it ran into what I consider to be one of the problematic issues when when people try to become figureheads of a movement. Now, there was an, another controversy happening on the Canadian side in a in a really impoverished village called Attawapiskat. And there was an elected chief there by the name of Teresa Spence. And there was, there was all this pressure trying to be put on Canada uh, at the time um, to try to get the, the prime minister at the time to, to change his stance on a bunch of things. And so this Teresa Spence decided that she was going to do a hunger strike. And she set up a teepee, you know, and, and I don't mean some ramshackle teepee, I mean a really nice teepee I mean, with heat and all kinds of other stuff on an area called Victoria Park, which is right across from the, the, um, the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa. So she, she had a strong presence and a strong media presence, and she decided she was going to do a hunger strike. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of hunger strikes because, for one thing, we already have a high enough suicide rate in Native territories 
than to somehow do harm to yourself or threaten to kill yourself by, by starving yourself to death to, to promote some political movement. They don't usually end well. They usually end by somebody breaking the strike or getting sick, and usually not the latter. You know, and I'm not, not to take anything away from the hunger strikers from Ireland and the IRA and all that stuff. I mean, those were some pretty dramatic hunger strikes. But in general, the, when a figurehead, somebody like, a, like a, an elected band council chief goes on a hunger strike, it's a little hard to take it too seriously. And her demands were pretty uh, stiff demands to, to come from the Canadian prime minister. And I knew it wasn't going to go well. And she was doing this at, kind of at the height and the peak of the I don't, I don't Know More movement. And I predicted, I said, look, she is going to take over the movement, even without necessarily signing up to do so. She's going to do it because she is trying to gain all of this, this media coverage. And, and Canada covered it a lot. And even on the U.S. side, it was getting covered. And the poverty of Attawapiskat, which stood in just such a stark contrast to the fact that De Beers has a diamond mine on their land, and yet the people live in abject poverty. You know, I said from the start, if she wanted to really make a statement by, by creating some, uh, some presence on Victoria Island, she should have created one of those pallet corrugated metal shacks that, that her people live in, as she's raking in pretty good dollars as the elected chief. Of course, that money comes from the Canadian government. Um, but, but anyway, um, and sure enough, you know, she broke her strike and, and really, I don't know, more movement lost its steam. Now, I'm not saying it is dead or it's done, but it, it certainly lost its momentum. And part of it is because, you know, a lot of the, the pro I don't know more movement people really lined up with Teresa Spence. And, and of course, then she got mired in controversy because of you know, her relationships. She, you know, she had a non-native boyfriend that she contracted to do many of the services on the territory. And so she was highly paid. He was highly paid. I think between the two of them, they were pulling in, you know, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars a year or something like that, while the, the people of Attawapiskat were living in abject poverty. So this is the problem with some of these movements. And we've seen it before where the leader of a movement becomes so preeminent that the takedown of that, that individual, either by... <laughs> you know, implosion or, you know, or by the powers that be, um, you know, taking shots at them, sometimes literally, um, in, in the case of people like, you know, Martin Luther King and, and uh, Malcolm X and others, we, we know that becoming that figurehead has its challenges and can really have its challenges to, the move, to these movements. But um, again, today is, the, is approximately the 10th anniversary within a day or two of... Um, our round dance at the Galleria Mall, where we made quite a splash. And we weren't the only ones. There were some of the, I don't know, more round dances, these flash mob round dances, had really invoked clashes with police all over the U.S. and, uh, and Canada. Um, so, you know, I think even the, the conflicts promoted our uh, agendas uh, in, in many ways. I didn't want to just talk about I don't know more. I, I, I wanted to bring it up because, uh, again, I, I posted, reposted the, the video of, uh, of my, uh, my incident. Um, but, you know, I, I think about the Black Lives Matter movement and the momentum it had. And, and look, we, I've, I've said this many times on the program, we benefited from the momentum of Black Lives Matter. We saw Columbus statues come down right alongside some of those Confederate statues and and we, you know, we saw the Washington football team 
finally um, be pressured by financial interests because of the social movement um, to, to change its name. We saw the Cleveland baseball team first drop its logo and then drop its name. So, and I'm not giving, you know, 99% of the credit to the Black Lives Matter movement, but it happened at that time when, when social justice was being elevated in people's consciousness. And, and so I do credit Black Lives Matter, even though I don't want to take anything away from the, the Native people who had worked on these issues for, for decades. But it, um, you know, we saw the biggest success when there was a certain amount of unity and uh, solidarity that, uh, that came in the pushing and the, and the pressing for, for social justice. But again, Black Lives Matter, you, you can get to a place where you don't do enough. I, I think of Michael Harriet's uh, video, and uh, I think it's called And no one, no one Came. And he talked about going to Birmingham. There was going to be this Black Lives Matter um, a move, you know, event, and they were going to block traffic coming in and out of the one of the most prominent malls of, of Birmingham, and nobody would step off the curb. And you know, I encourage you to look for that. I, I've posted that a few times over the years, but uh, uh, in fact, I did. I posted it fairly recently. If you look for from Michael Harriet and nobody came, um, it shows you how these movements can hit a wall where nobody wants to take the next step. And, you know, and look, I'm not talking about violence and riots and that kind of stuff, but a certain amount of, you know, nonviolent direct action, like blocking traffic is not the t a terrible thing. Look, I, I'm, I live in Seneca territory where the throughway was shut down um, multiple times because of our conflicts with the state and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, these, these movements can be tough. You know, and, and of course, language matters. I mean, one of the things that we saw with Black Lives Matter was, the pushback when people started saying blue lives matter, whatever the hell, you know, as stupid as that is, uh, which was the counter to, to support, you know, essentially police in, in the face of the um, police aggression towards, uh, towards people of color. Uh, we, we saw, you know, all lives matter. And, and that also seemed to be a direct um, pushback against this, this notion. Because, look, if all lives matter, then we wouldn't need black lives matter. Right. We, we wouldn't need to say black lives matter, too. We, we, we you know, but the fact of the matter is we know that all lives are not valued the same. And this brings me to, you know, um, another essentially movement um, that came out of native territories, which was um, in the wake of some of the revelations of the unmarked graves, mass graves um, and, and unmarked. Uh, burial sites along these, um, around these, these residential schools on the Canadian side primarily, there became um, a bit of a, a slogan, which was every child matters. Now, I, I got to tell you, I'm not crazy about that, that slogan, because I think in the same way that Black Lives Matter was undermined by people using their tagline and, and essentially, you know, whitewashing it, I believe that that tagline should have been Native Children Matter. Our children matter, or something like that. I mean, I, I realize that when you see an "Every Child Matters" T-shirt or, or bumper sticker or, or sweatshirt or something like that, it usually has feathers. Or, or the the implication is clear that we're talking about Native children, but it doesn't say it. And and I think, um, I, I think if we knew that every child mattered, then we wouldn't have seen two hundred years of Native kids being ripped from their families and sent to these these prison-like uh, you know boarding schools. So I bring all of these things up. And, and of course, there was other, there was the Women's March and there was the, the Climate March, which was, you know, 
fairly successful right there in New York City. That I, I don't know, it was close to a half a million people that I was. I that was one of my first programs um, on WBAI. Well, as I was starting my new this the show, which, uh, which beginning with just um, let's talk. But uh, Mimi Rosenberg and I, we we essentially uh, covered the the climate march. Right, we were set up right near Columbus Circle, and we covered the climate march. And 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 look, that was great. But marches and rallies by themselves don't get it done. You, movements require movement. And so, what I call this show is how do you keep you know, keeping movements moving? And and that's where I come come. Uh, you know, come to in this conversation. I, I think it's really important that we understand that, yes, going to, to an event, whether it's, you know, a million-man march or, you know, 10,000 people showing up, you know, um, at Standing Rock, um, look, it's, it's sensational, but they also can be incredibly burdensome. I mean, not only the very people you're trying to help oftentimes um, – you know, have to carry you know you know carry the burden of these of these big rallies and that kind of stuff. And and I'm not saying don't do that. I'm look, I w- was on the street after Freddie Gray's uh, murder and and that kind of stuff in New York. It happened to me on a, on a day I was in New York for this show. Um, and and I'm going to participate. You know, I'm going to do my part when there's when there's a rally. And I, I'm not necessarily going to be one of ten thousand people at Standing Rock or or one of a million in, in Washington DC, but I will participate in a way that I think is meaningful without increasing the burden on on the movement. Uh, but I think we have to do more than just rally. And and that's why I had a previous a couple of shows ago go I mentioned that we have to be innovative. We have to understand that activism requires innovation. And look, none of these movements have to be dead. I mean, and the American Indian movement is still—it's—it still exists. Yeah, and you know, we can talk about where it is in in the in the larger scheme of things. You know, I've been a, I've been a part, and in, in fact, I'm, I'm I'm published in a new book on the Mohawk Warrior Society. Uh, I wrote an excerpt for that book. Um, th- that was another movement, the Warrior Society movement, or the Sovereignty movement, as as many people were calling what we were doing. That was that's something that many of us are still very much engaged in. But I, I think even as we give names to these movements, I think we have to, um, to make sure that we, we don't completely lose momentum. It's fine for momentum to, you know, to, to wane a little bit. But we, we also have to understand that we can lose momentum if we don't keep, especially our young people engaged, and you know, and I, and I think that is a really, really important part of um, of of any movement. I think we have to maintain um, an objective, yeah. And and I'm not saying it has to be an organized objective that everybody in a movement has to have the same plan. In fact, I'm I'm all for suggesting we need to have diversity in our strategies. But you know, if we're gonna if we're going to cry out Black Lives Matter or we're going to uh, cry out Idle No More, I think we have to explain, you know, what we as individuals and as groups of individuals, what we're fighting for. And I think sometimes that can, be, that can be, get, become a little bit cloudy. So um, that's some of my thoughts on, uh, on these movements. And, 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 of course, our work is never done, you know, uh, and, and, and that I go back to, to again, the value in, uh, in Idle No More was 
what the, the slogan actually meant. It, it really meant that we're no longer going to sit back and we're no longer going to be complicit with the status quo, that we're not going to sit idle. We're, we're going we're to rise up. We're going to you know, get off our chair. We're going to get out of the house. And we're going to you know, make it. And look, I, I'm, I'm pretty active. I, I do quite a bit, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that I deserve, you know, praise for, for my activism. But there's a full range of, of things that people can do. And part of, the, one of, one of the biggest parts of what we need to do as activists is educate people. And I don't mean auditoriums full of people. That's, that's a good way to do it. Or having a radio show. Yeah, that's a good way to do it too. But I, we, we have to engage each other. We have to talk to each other. We, we have to educate people. And that education is never going to be a situation where I say, I'm going to tell you how it is and you need to take my word for it. No, I'm, I'm not going to raise an issue. I'm going to say, look, this is what I understand. By all means, check it out. You find, you know, learn what I'm talking about. Find out about Mankato. Find out a, a, about, you know, I don't know more. Find out about residential schools. I'm going to give you you know, sometimes I'll, I'll give you the names of some books to read or I'll name, I'll drop a few names of people that have done some of the research. But look, we live in an age of, you know, of social media and um, and Google and smart speakers. Sometimes we don't have to type anything in. We can just ask, you know, ask our smart speaker to tell us something. And the information is available to us. And, and here's the problem. <laughs> I just cracked over in my uh, my granddaughter's eighth grade um, history book. And, you know, I never did look at the copyright date, but I'm just looking at the stuff that's in there. I, I read the, you know, the small excerpt on the annexation of Hawaii, which never happened, by the way, uh, <laughs> legally. Um, I read the section about, you know, about Mohawks and about Pocahontas. And it is, it's incredible that these books, I mean, are still being used. And, you know, and I, and I got to tell you, some of what we need to do is we need to we need to explain to our kids and our grandkids that those books are wrong, and and they need to challenge what is being written. And when and when they have a homework assignment as, associated with these things, they need to be informed. They can't just be belligerent. You know, although some some of us made our way through school that way, um, they can't just be belligerent. They have to be well informed. They have to be more informed than that than that crappy textbook is that they're using. But I mean, I think that's that, that's value. Reg, are you with me? I am here with you, John. Uh, yeah, I would really love to hear your thoughts on you know on, on on the status of the Black Lives Matter movement, especially being in New York City. I mean, you're in, in one of the yeah. major metropolitan right. areas, and you know, and I, like I said, I was on the streets after Freddie Gray, and I was there a few, a, for a few moments uh, in, in on various marches and. And including including the climate march and and, and mm -hmm. the like, but um, I, I mean, and, and again, these can be sensational events because you see thousands right. of people participating. But, right. but give give me your thoughts. Uh, you know, living there uh, on 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 what you see and and where you think things need to go. Well, I think what you're saying, you're on point. Where, you know, there was a moment. A moment of time, it's like catching lightning in a bottle where unfortunate events like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd happened. And, you know, and on top of the multitudes of other people who Eric fell Garner, victim. Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, all these, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah name, name it all. And so it just, and I, I, I think that 
you know, a little time separated from that time gives me a moment of looking at what exactly happened, how that this moment, you know, created almost to an extent a global movement of sort. And, and, and part of it was due to uh, a pandemic. And part of it was due to the point that there was folks that were out of jobs and they were at home and all they could do is look at their TVs and, and um, smartphones and computers and tablets and everything that happened at that point. So it happened real fast. And, and, and there is something to be said about that. And I think that the powers that be did not expect how fast people were starting to advocate on that. But with that said, and yes, definitely you should, um, uh, you have every right to include uh, what happened with the name change of, you know, the Washington Commanders. I think that's what they call themselves yeah, as. Yeah, yeah, you know that 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 is definitely a byproduct of that wave of movement, and you know, and and that was part that pushed it over the edge. That definitely pushed it over the edge because I know that changing the name of the NFL football team in Washington, D.C. was something that was going on for a while and it was stagnant and until that movement kind of pushed it over to the edge. You know, and, that, and, and that's a convergence of issues. Obviously, the Washington football franchise was under a lot of scrutiny because mm -hmm. of some of the misconduct by the owner and, you know, everything from, you know, from exploitation of cheerleaders to racism in the locker room. And there's any number of things that were happening there. So I think because they were under, they, they certainly didn't, <laughs> didn't have uh, uh, a Teflon coating anymore. No, and, no, no. But, no. But, here's, and here, but here's my problem, though. Then New York City elects a cop for their mayor. I mean, in in the I mean, look, we we still had New York City is not innocent in this in this police abuse stuff. I mean, stop and frisk is a, well, you is a just New York said City Eric thing. Gardner. And Eric, you I just mean, said Eric Gardner. But then, then you guys go and I'm here I'm gonna blame you. Then you guys go to elect a cop as your mayor. And look, I understand that when these elections happen, you are facing usually bad choices. But at the end of the day, and this is where I get into in, into another show that I've done where I said. You can't just elect somebody and think your your work is done here. Well, I, I would go even further than that, John. I, I think that that and and, and and I'm going to make people uncomfortable here at WBAI. Some of my colleagues here at WBAI, more often than not, are on the point of asking questions and pressuring the the uh, the officials on what to do. At the end of the day, there were folks who have the platform, who have the audience, really didn't press that hard. There was few and far between that actually critiqued that person who ended up becoming mayor, who you said was a cop, you know, in his past life. They didn't no, really. And I'm not saying him. that being a cop automatically disqualifies no, you. But, no, but no, his, no, no. It's not. But the policies and the positions that he took as a cop. Certainly, we're a long ways from the, the mentality uh, is there. Uh, yeah, and and it was, certainly wasn't embracing Black Lives Matter. 
Oh no, and the mentality was there. And, and anything, if if anything, he was the antith- the antithesis to that. You yeah, know, it was yeah. like he was a person where okay, there's issues going on. Oh, there's problems. What do we need to do? Not talk about um, reform. Uh, <laughs> you know, reform or 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 education, as you were saying, or or bringing in cycle uh, cycle uh, analysis. Of uh, bringing in people who who uh, may not be qualified for the job, okay, people who may have mental issues out there, bring in psychiatrists or psychologists. Yeah, I mean, out me- there. mental health experts to be a part of that, right. front, you know, first responders. No, all, none of that, and, right? And, and what and what happens? No, the solution is to bring more cops. And this is one of the few times that I actually agree with. Uh, the 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 head of the uh, New York, you, you know, NYPD Patrolman's Board, Pat Lynch, saying that this is too much. You want the cops to do everything and everything. I mean, and look, look at and, the homeless problem. I mean, they're really trying right. to turn you know make cops be the the first responders to to dealing with with the homelessness crisis as if. It's it, it like it's a, it's not really a criminal issue. It's a it's a societal issue. And 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 just to further what you were saying, you know, go, I'm going to go back and forth on a lot of things. Go here. ahead. <laughs> uh, 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 but um, you are right about controlling the narrative. I know you didn't say that in specifically, but I, I kind of sensed that what you were saying about uh, I don't know more and Black Lives Matter. There is something to be said that one month in 2020, June of 2020, it was a firestorm of, of, of activity. You know, there was tens of dozens of hundreds of protests that were happening all at once at any given moment in time in New York by itself. Mm-hmm. But then July came around and then all that disappeared. And the thing was, what happened at the end of the day? It was, it was corporate America that got, got, you know, that caught the ear and started to add Black Lives Matter to their commercials. The NBA started to put Black Lives Matter on their jerseys. And their helmets, yeah, yeah, yeah. And their helmets as well. Um, uh, after after, after baseball, years of blackballing somebody like Colin Kaepernick for the very, for making the same statement, sure. Oh, and, and, and we have a fix for that. You know, not talk to or or negotiate with Colin Kaepernick. We're going to bring in Jay-Z. We're going to bring in Jay-Z, who is going to be the person, uh, the, co- uh, the confidant, to bring in talent, and that is the way of fixing the issue. Well, and that gets to your point state. about about controlling the narrative. I mean, it's the same thing that I say about I don't know more. Yeah, I don't know more should have should have really gone at length to separate themselves from from this Chief Teresa Spence and and what she was doing because it was undermining a movement that was still on the rise. Absolutely, and and Absolutely. this is what we saw. I mean, what was. Uh, I hate, I hate to say that I forgot the, what they were actually calling it. What was the uh, the uh, Wall Street uh, protest? Zuccotti Park. What was? Uh, oh, Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was down there. I mean, I walked down there with uh, and brought some people with me, and we went through Zuccotti Park and that kind of stuff. And you know, so that a lot of that messaging has been lost. That's I mean, true. You know, That's everything true. came out of came out of there. I mean, it's. I mean, I, again, so you see these these things gain momentum, and then lose it. And 
you know, we don't, you can't assume that when, you know, you lose momentum that something's going to backfill, in a, uh, that another movement's going to backfill and and, uh, and keep pushing the narratives that we need pushed. No, sometimes it's like a pendulum. It doesn't get backfilled with more right. movement. It gets swings back the other way. And, and that's what you saw with, with someone like Donald Trump getting elected. And frankly, well, it isn't even just the, the Republican Party. When the, when the right. Democrats answer a Donald Trump with a Joe Biden, I mean, after some of the... <laughs> The terrible things that he did in terms of crime bill and going after Anita Hill and you know his attack on uh, on on the, uh, the the movement supporting you know gay rights and that kind of stuff and gay marriage. I mean, some of the stuff that he that he has said and done, you would have think would have disqualified him as a Democratic candidate in in the world that we live in. And but, you know, but here we have it, right? But but here but yes, absolutely. But add on to the fact that when people point that out and critique on these things rather than say, hmm, we may have to delve into this with this a little bit harder. No, they shoot the messenger, always. They always shoot the messenger, always blame. You don't bring that up or Trump will win. Don't say this, no, I'm saying these things because he can potentially become a better candidate for this, but no, you can't say that. And, and particularly and especially, and I find this hilarious, whenever, um, you know, you go around uh, media, uh, black media per se, and you talk about this, um, about the horrible things that has happened, you know, uh, uh, the Crime Bills Act and the Anita Hill thing and, and the Patriot Act and all these things that Biden was credit for him proudly. He he said, I wrote the damn bill. That's he said that. Yeah, yeah. He, it, he rather than being critiqued on that candidate, they will blame you and to the point of saying you're a Trump apologist. Exactly. It's like you can't you can't hold anybody up, um, accountable. No. I mean, and no. at the same time you gotta remember that Bernie Sanders, there's pictures all over the internet of him marching arm in arm in and during the civil rights movements and he doesn't right. and he loses the black vote to to Joe Biden i mean it's 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 incredible i mean and then of course i got to i got to bring it to to new york here governor of the state of new york i mean oh, she yeah. she on. looks like she's poised to um um to alter significantly the bail reform that was done and we know that bail the bail reform was needed because it was just poor people who were staying locked up not anybody with money could get bailed out i'm mean, the whole idea of bail reform wasn't to put violent criminals out on the street. That was never the imp <laughs> the point. But that's the way the the Republicans have spun it. And so, what does she do? She doesn't push back against that narrative. She she concedes to it. And you, you this both this governor and this state legislature, I I guarantee you they're gonna roll, they're gonna roll back a lot of that bail reform. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I think if, if we have learned anything um, during this. During, during this point of time and this iteration of Democrats out there, they're going to talk a good game, but, you know, they, it's not like they're uh, opposed to whatever their so-called counterparts are. They just like to approach it differently. Well, and, that, and, and honestly, they, 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 they become complicit in it. I mean, uh, oh, we, totally. we, see, we see how much the Democrats still are going to pander to the wealthy, and pander mm -hmm. to the right. I mean, uh, uh, you you move these guys. You, what people understand is you move the, the w those who claim to be leftists closer to the to the right, and you don't have leftists anymore. 
And the ones who are right. left out there you know, become the enemies of their own party. I mean, it's, it's kind of an, an incredible development. And uh, again, I, I honestly think that, that I think Kathy Hochul is worse than, uh, than Andrew Cuomo. And he wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty <laughs> terrible. But, but by, on, a, on a personal level, when I look at some of the things that she's, I mean, she just vetoed the, the Unmarked Burial Sites Protection Act. Why would, why would somebody do that when both parties and, and uh, passed that bill unanimously, and she vetoed it. Why? Because she's she's pro she she's I mean, and, and she she the way she you know she uh, she explains. Well, we need to protect property owners. Well, let's understand who we're talking about when you say property owners. You mean mm -hmm. property developers. You mean the billionaire developers who want to build a new football stadium um, in Seneca territory, or the or the, the ones who, who who want to um, you know. Uh, scrape the earth to, to build new industry and uh, and and more profiteering. I mean, that's what that's what her her opposition to this thing was that there may be a slowdown, you know, or a bump in the road for development if the remains and not just native remains either. This could this could be remains from you know from mass graves of of, of the enslaved or mass or, or graves of uh, of revolutionary you, you know. There weren't a whole lot of deaths of, of civil war in New York, but there there have been in Lake George. They they discovered the remains of uh, of people who died in the Revolutionary War, and, and if a developer hmm. came across that, oh, we're just going to doze it over. They don't have to treat. And look, some people feel differently and are very very passionate about the remains of uh, of their ancestors, and and I can respect where people are coming from that, and uh -huh. you know, and and yet she. In spite of the fact that the the both chambers of the state legislature, both parties unanimously passed the bill, and she's never adequately explained, you know. And and here's the thing: when we talk about politics, do you think that the Democrats are going to override her veto? I doubt it. Oh hell no! Of course they won't. Because I it, doubt that. Because what happens is you end up having folks, black and white, carrying water for these politicians and. You know, we've seen it with the, you know, at the state level. We see it at the federal level, and yeah, and so here you have it, right? Well, there it is, because and it goes further to the point that I was mentioning before, but I'm glad you brought it up this way, where, you know, it, movements, as you have said, movements in general, you know, uh, wax and wanes all the time. Sure, but the thing is. But the thing is, I think what the problem is and what we as people who want these movements to happen, that want these uh, things to change for the better to happen, is to really explain what will be the short goal and the, and the long goal to these things. And I think that we collectively like to talk about starting stuff off. And it starts off. But we never really articulate what needs to happen during, you know, as the momentum builds. Okay, where are we going to go with this? And, and, what, what, and what, what's, what's our ask or what's our demand? I mean, and of course, the other thing yeah, that happens what is, is, right. the, is the corporatization of these movements. And that's what you, when you talk oh about Jay Z, yes. I mean, in the end, you get FedEx, Target, and Walmart being credited with the, with the Washington football team changing its name. Not the fact that for 50 right. years, Native people have been, have been pressing this issue. And so those corporate interests kind of yielded to the Black Lives Matter movement. But at the end right. of the day, I mean, you get the corporatization of these movements. And, 
and the the ones that get alienated the most, and and I and I can't I, I can't emphasize this enough, are young people. You know, the more mm-hmm. young people are, are mm-hmm. involved in these movements, the better. And because they're going to, uh, 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 their absolutely. energy is what we need, right? I mean, and their innovation absolutely. is what we need. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and and, and then go further going into what you just finished saying, John, like, okay, months during that 2020, year of 2020, we're in August now. And what happened in Kenosha, the shooting of Jacob Blake, um, and 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 what happened? The the NBA players were really upset. People like Kyrie Irving was just saying, "Look, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. I'm done with this." And there was a momentum where there was going to be a general strike with the NBA players saying, "I'm done. I, I, we're we're not going to deal with this. I can't tolerate this anymore." I'm saying, "I have to show my I have to show my fight in this particular way." which would have been extremely effective because at the bottom line, it does deal with the dollar. But what happened? It was when LeBron James called Barack Obama and Barack Obama said to the NBA players, oh, you need to play because y'all are a good, uh, a good distraction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, and, you know, and I, you, we go through this all the time, right? And, <laughs> and we, we hear, yeah. you know, some of the most prominent black figures, whether they're sports figures or, you know, or, or whether they're politicians. And, and look, I, I can cite example after example after example where, mm-hmm. where Barack Obama mm-hmm. just threw a pail of cold water on, you know. On oh, a, yeah. I, 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 again, I remember, and I even got into it with, with you know, one of the more arco- iconic voices in, uh, in Native uh, activism, Suzanne Harjo. I'm not a big fan, but I uh, yeah. got into it with Suzanne Harjo because she was on my show, and I said, "Well, Barack Obama's comments on the Washington football team wasn't exactly a stellar endorsement for change." She goes, "Oh, I don't agree." I says, "Well, he basically said, if I had a team, and if that team had a name that a significant number of people found offensive, I think about changing." How could I mean? I realize that that's typical Barack Obama speak, where you throw in so mm-hmm. many hypotheticals that your message is, is meaningless. But the the biggest thing wasn't even the ifs. Or that what he would think about doing was when he said, and if a significant number of people found it offensive or were or, or bothered by it. So it turns into a numbers game. Well, look, we're right. gonna we're gonna lose that fight every single time. I mean, black people only represent 13, 13% of the US population. Native people, mm-hmm. we're less than one percent. So when people try to turn it into a numbers game, it is so hard to rally uh, you know all of our people uh, you know together anyway. We, we, we aren't exactly a solid block all the time. You know, and right. and we see that in everything from, you know, in fact, nobody is. I mean, white people aren't a solid block. Uh, women right. aren't a solid block. I mean, uh, you you look at the, the the indifference that the the Latin community has on things like immigration, and you know, mm-hmm. and again, this is where we where we find ourselves. And and, and I think again, I, I can't emphasize how important it is that you know when we when we find the means to start momentum. I think the way to feed it is to is to continue to try to feed it through through younger people, and because I and I know that young people can be easily influenced by these figureheads, but I think we've got to empower them to be more a part of the movement and less looking for for false leadership. Well, and and I think to also add is that the movement politicians that are listening to you and and, and gives you and 
you know, the latest lingo or or the handshake or or listening to whatever Spotify playlist that they're listening to, at the bottom, at the end of the day, they are not your friends. They are not your friends. They're being the managed by market is, research analysts for crying out loud. <laughs> there it is. And the thing is, is that the demand from, and it's not just the youth, it's just in general, but particularly the youth, because as you have said, the energy and the creativity that comes from the youth, it is so valuable. But, but I have seen it uh, more often than not that there's always a, defer, a default moment where when any politician that mentions a movement, somehow that's a victory. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. It, it, that no, that's not the end of anything. And if anything, if this guy is listening, that shows leverage from people who have pushed that issue, where that politician listened to that issue and actually, uh, 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 you know, reiterate that issue. Well, and, and we know? still and we still have to critique their involvement in, in any movement because the, if more often than not, they're going to water it down. So while on oh, yeah. one hand we can say, look, we appreciate such and such showed up, you know, uh, on the front line, or we appreciate this, but your messaging was 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 dialed down to about fifty percent of where we need to have it, and 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 critique. So when when Obama or anybody else waters something down to where they almost don't say anything, and then we hang on those words, you know, that's the problem because I mean we. I said it just, I think it was last week or the week before, I mentioned the fact that Barack Obama did a ringing endorsement of the Homestead Act, which, oh, yeah. which was... Yes, he did. And, and yes, Frederick did. Douglass was, was an, another guy who was a big uh, advocate for westward expansion. Why? Because mm -hmm. he thought it was going to give black men property. And right. he didn't care where it came from. And so when, right. you, when you get prominent black figures like... And, and that's a, quite a span from Frederick Douglass to Barack Obama, not acknowledging who the atrocity has to be committed against in the for you to to praise the courage and bravery of uh, and the commitment of of Western settlers. They killed more people than the military did. Right, and I, I think it, and and that's another point is worth noting is is about the term intersectionality. Exactly. Uh, it, 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 to understand. One group's um, struggle over here may be uh, compatible or downright identical to your struggle, and it's not. And 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 more often than not, someone like an Obama, when he waters down um, the issue, it's not because to benefit you or me. It's to benefit his donors, the white people out there that are supporting him. You know, I don't want to get them too angry now yeah. because, you know, at the end of the day, I need that money so that I can continue to campaign and do their bidding. Well, and, 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 and it's a big difference standing on the shoulders of, uh, of people who got you someplace and standing, mm -hmm. on, and, and standing on their necks. Mm -hmm. just, just so people understand that there's, there a, it there's is. a difference, right? There, hey, look, I, we're, we're coming to the end here. So let me uh, do another plug for these two fine radio stations for, for giving me the opportunity to sound off and to, and to have Reggie. Reggie, I don't thank you enough for, for whether you participate with me in these conversations or whether you just sit back and 
turn the buttons and turn <laughs> and maintain my my signal uh, going out over the airways. I, I sure appreciate the, what you do, and 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 I I appreciate the dialogue. Um, but I, I do want to I do want to ask people again support WBAI. If if you're in New York City, you're, the the number to call is two one two two zero nine two nine five zero, or go online to give to WBAI.org. Or if you're in Washington D.C. Listening on WPFW Jazz and Justice Radio, it's 202-588-9739, or go online to wpfwdc.org/donate. Um, and if you look, we're on Facebook. We we post this up as a podcast. So if you're listening to us uh, not on the radio, I still encourage you to support these two radio stations because it it's their platform that is is basically our foundation. Um, and you can't you can't assume that this will always be here. So. Um, I encourage you to support the stations so we can always be here. Yahweh, this is John Kane. This is Resistance Radio.